We really do. There's been an unleashed a spirit of iniquity. The word iniquity means without law or lawless. That's what it means. And, uh, and that's the spirit that is unleashed right now in this country. And uh, you are the withholding force. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And darkness, it, darkness, it really, do you know, I mean, any physicist here? Darkness does not exist. It's simply the absence of light. And so if there's darkness in a room, what do you do? Flip the switch. You, and darkness disappears. Amen. And so sometimes we look at the world as darkness as a force, but you have been given such power in the Lord through His Word and through the Spirit of God that you can dispel that darkness if you turn the switch on. Amen. And, and it really does happen. And uh, I mean, to go into a country where we know of no one ever preaching. And you'd think it'd be, you'd feel resistance. We didn't feel resistance. Now, we've been in lots of uh, Islamic nations, and we felt some resistance in different places, but we didn't in that country, and we knew God had given us an open door. How he was going to do it, we didn't know, but he's doing it. Amen, and we thank God for that. But we've seen it work in so many places. Uh, Paris has been a tough nut to crack. I'm talking about the city proper. But uh, where we work in, in Bible schools every year in Scotland, they organized prayer ministries, and they did one. There was a church planning to, to start inside of Paris, very close to Paris Center. And, uh, and so young people came from different places in Europe and uh, from the Bible school in Scotland and for a week prayed and actually prayed completely around that city. Groups went to each of the of the the four gates of the city of Paris and began there and going uh, walking and praying for seven days. And then they had a, a the church opening. And the, the meanwhile, those that were planting the church were working. And when that church opened, the first Sunday they opened, there were ninety people from Paris there. And uh, that church is a dynamic church uh, today. And uh, it, it is winning people amazingly. But prayer works. I'm telling you, we say that. But just know, when Paul talked about the evil that would come on the earth, he said there would be something that would withhold that. And that something is you. And until you're taken out of the way, evil is not going to have complete preeminence and freedom. But if we do nothing and just run around hiding, then we're not doing the withholding that we need to do. Let's be salt and light. Let's pray against the evil of darkness and know that we can do more praying than anything else.
Praise God. And, and so we, we have got to understand the power that he's put inside of us as, as uh, Holy Ghost-filled people. Praise God. Well, I, this is a very unique day in the Jewish calendar. And I'll just talk to you a little bit about this because um, I, I follow the Jewish calendar because it unveils so many things in the Scripture. But this day in particular is a, is a very, very important day to the Jews. And uh, I want you to read with me about it. It's found in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, and uh, starting at verse 1, we're not going to read all the verses. I think you'll get the, the gist of the scenario. This was after the spies came back from spying out Canaan for 40 days, and um, they, 10 of them brought a evil report the bible calls it and 10 of them brought a, a two of them Joshua and Caleb brought a positive faith-filled report and so it says all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness King James says, would to God. They wish that when they said would to God, that literally means we wish it was God's will or that God would have killed us in the wilderness. Just this day on the calendar will remind you to be very careful about what you say. Very careful about how you talk. Because not only is God's word forever settled, but he doesn't forget our words either. Amen. Now, Lord Jesus, just help us to learn the power of our words, the power of our speaking, Lord God, and how it governs things on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Every one of you have got the power of God and His Word inside of your heart. But we've got to use the sword of the Spirit is what? You can have all the Holy Ghost you want, but the sword of the Spirit or the instrument that the Spirit needs in order to be effective is what? The Word. The Word of God. I mean, the Spirit of God, when, when, when God created the heaven and the earth, in verse 2, the, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved. But nothing changed. Some people get moved by the Spirit, but they go unchanged. They just feel good, and that's all. 
But it's something deeper than that. It wasn't until verse 3 that God stepped on the edge of that darkness and opened his mouth. And when he said, let there be light, at 186,000 miles per second, light shot out of his mouth. I would call that a big bang. Not the same kind that some folks think. But I tell you what, God has two big bangs. The other one's in the end when he, when he destroys this world by, with fervent heat and a great noise. That's God's other big bang. <laughs> I wasn't around for the first one. I really don't want to be around for the second one. <laughs> Amen. But this, uh, this, this happening... Uh, you know what happened. The children of Israel responded. Now look, it, look in verse twenty-two with me, and uh, this this is rather this is rather enlightening. Verse twenty-two. Uh, now Moses pleaded with him not to kill the people. It's kind of funny to me that one time one time God is ready to kill him. And Moses stands in the gap. And the next time Moses is ready to kill him and God stands in the gap. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, the relationship that Moses had with God is remarkable. Because God let Moses understand his ways. The Bible says that, Psalms 103. The children of Israel watched his actions saw the miracles take place, but Moses understood God's purpose behind it all because God told him. And uh, anyway, so Moses had convinced God not to kill him, and then God said, uh, he said in verse 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. And so they had, from Egypt to that point, had tempted God by their words, by their murmurings and complainings ten times, and God had enough. And he said, he goes on to say, let's move down here to, to uh, verse 27. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell in, save Caleb and Joshua. So what, what, a, what an awful happening. This happened on the ninth day of the month of Av, which is today. Start, the Jewish calendar, their day starts at 6 p.m. at night. And it started at 6 p.m. tonight. 
And this, this day, the ninth of Av, in Hebrew it's called Tish B'Av, and it, they, they remember this day. And on this day, it's a very solemn day. They call it the saddest day of the year because they remember. They fast for three weeks in preparation for this day to repent and to ask God to forgive them. And it's not only this happening, but you see when man speaks, God doesn't forget it. And when God speaks, his word is forever settled. And he pronounced a curse on the children of Israel on this very day. And strange things occur down through history on this day. And I'd just like to, I'd like to just share with you a few of them I, I've written out here. It was uh, this, this day they commemorate or remember the catastrophes that, that have happened as actions of God, if you want to call it that. And uh, it was the year 1313 B.C. that this happened. And... And then, of course, it was 586 B.C. that Babylon struck the city of Jerusalem. And on the very same day of the year, the ninth of Av, the temple was destroyed. Solomon's temple was destroyed. And the word of the Lord was fulfilled that was spoken by the prophets. But it happened on this day. And... And down through history, five centuries later, Jesus has been crucified, had uh, ascended into heaven and all of that. And uh, many signs God did that are written in the writings of the rabbis that showed them what they had done. The Bible mentions the temple, the, the veil in the temple being written twain. And uh, that was a sign. But not only that, but the earthquake that took place at that same time when Jesus was on the cross, it broke the lintel over the gates in the temple. And those doors, as a result, would not stay shut. Now, it took 12 men on each door to shut those gates. They were huge, heavy, and covered with gold. And it took 12 men to shut those gates and they would shut them and lock them by force every night. And in the morning when they'd come early in the morning for the evening sacrifice, the doors would be open by themselves. They thought they were containing the presence of God, but God was showing them He was gone. The glory had departed. And... Not only that, the light on the candlesticks wouldn't stay lit. They had to relight them every day. No longer did heavenly fire fall on the sacrifice. And for 40 years, they celebrated rituals of Judaism without the display of God's power that they had before Calvary. And, and then, of course... The prophecies, Jesus himself said that not one stone would be left on another of that temple. No matter how beautiful it was, it was no longer the habitation of God. Some people are so struck on rebuilding that temple, but they miss it. They call it the third temple. It's not God's third temple. 
You are God's temple. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Amen. Some are so, some Christians are so struck that they want to help them start blood sacrifices, which in the Bible is now an apostasy because Jesus died once and for all. His blood is the sacrifice that God has received. And stop the oblation that was prophesied by Daniel. And it ceased. Friend, it was that temple on the 9th of Av that Titus, the Roman general in 70 AD, destroyed. On the same day, both temples were destroyed. It was God's curse. And it didn't stop. The Jews revolted. They were, you know, dispersed. Jerusalem was destroyed. Jews were carried off. But they still, they still, about 60 years later, tried to revolt. Rome had come back, started to rebuild the city of Jerusalem about 120 A.D. And in 133 A.D. there was a major revolt by the Jews that that were still there. And it was on the 9th of Av that Rome wiped them out. And, and it, it, was, it was done. They were dispersed all over the world. And, uh, and in England in 1290 A.D., there were Jewish settlements, but the, the English decided to expel all Jews from their country. Destroy the Jewish quarters that were in their cities. And what day do you think that it happened? Then in the golden age of Spain, in the year America was discovered, 1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, well, Spain was doing something else. They had made declaration in early in March of that year that they were going to expel the Jews, and and that edict of expulsion was signed on March 31st on our calendar. But on the in the Jewish date, when it finally happened four months later, that they were given to go out or be killed, it was the ninth of Av. Same thing. Happened in World War One, as uh, things began to roll, and then probably one of the worst things was in World War Two. It was really part of the same war. It never was solved. World War One and World War Two, but in World War Two, Hitler began to design a program to exterminate all Jews from Europe, and it was on the ninth of Av, that the, the final solution was signed on that same day. It was in 2005 that the nation of Israel declared to pull out of Gaza, and it was on the ninth of Av that all Jews were evacuated from the Gaza Strip. And 
it's, I don't think it's haphazard. And there are many, many other things down through history. And so what God is saying is he doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. So what we have to do is be careful about our complaining and what, what, how our response is to the things that are going on even right today. Because as God's people, he listens and he responds and he takes action on our own words. And we need to learn as Pentecostals to be careful about our words and speak words of faith and speak according to his word, amen, and, and begin to confess the promises of God's word in this very hour. And uh, I think that we are living in, in a trying time. But you know what? The Bible said this would happen. And he even gives us instructions how to, to cruise through this time or to govern our life and, and make our way through it. He gives us instructions. And going right to Jesus' own discourse on, on the end times, when we look at, when we look at, I like to look at Luke 21. He begins to give us some insight into the end times, and this is the parallel chapter that uh, that we find with Matthew twenty four. Those are parallel chapters. Put them side by side. That will give you insight. Much of this was to the Jews and was fulfilled in that destruction of the temple in seventy A.D. That's what Jesus was actually responding to. He had just prophesied. That the temple would be destroyed, not one stone left on another. And they asked him the question, when shall these things be? And he begins to describe that. And so a lot of Matthew, the other question was, what's the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? So all of that is contained in that discourse that came as an answer to the questions that his apostles asked him. And people get a lot really mixed up because they try to apply things that happened in the first century to the last century. And there sometimes prophecy does have a, a form of repetition and maybe some of those things will come about. But really when you see it, he tells us. Now, after talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, then he says that Jerusalem would be trodden down to the Gentiles. Verse 24 of Matthew I mean, of Luke 21, it would be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. You remember, when, we, when I was a kid, every prophecy preacher in, across Christianity, and our churches too, preached that when Jerusalem would become an Israeli city, it had been birthed in 48, and they preached that when it would become an Israeli city, the times of the Gentiles would be fulfilled. That's what the Scripture says. And we would be raptured. You remember? And in 1967, during the Six-Day War, it happened. Attacked by 10 to 1 by the Arabic nations surrounding them. And in six days, not only did God turn that thing around, but they had gained land that they had not had for millenniums. I mean, God turned it around. And the Jews, when the smoke cleared, the Jews had all of Jerusalem. 
And folks, I mean, we were looking for trampolines to practice. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't saved. I was a rebellious youth in the midst of the youth rebellion movement of the 60s. And I'll tell you what, fear came upon my soul. And I came home from school and the, and the front door was open and the car was in the driveway and I walked into the house said, Mom, I'm home, threw my books aside and there was no mom. <laughs> I think God was trying to scare every one of us. I went high and low in that house, backyard. I went back out to make sure the car really was there. And then the thought hit me, ah, the phone was in the kitchen on the wall, you know, and we always had the phone numbers all listed out there next to the phone. We didn't have cordless, cell phones, none of that. phone was stationary on the wall, and... uh, so I looked up the number that that lady neighbor lady around the corner she went to that church So I called her house And there was no answer And oh I I really began to get desperate and, and my eyes just happened to glance and see right on the bottom of the list was the pastor's number So I said I'll call his house and know I'm safe And I called the pastor's house, and nobody answered the phone. I mean, his wife was always home. And at that point, three strikes, you're out. I knew I had been left behind. And the couch became my prayer room, and there was a bucket of tears an hour later when my mom came in the back door. I never forgot that feeling. And it really wasn't so long, many months, not even a year after that, that somehow God got a hold of me for real. And all those promises I had prayed and and tried to forget about became a reality. Amen. It's going to happen. It really is. But Jesus went on to talk about signs that would transpire and showing us the time, Israel, God's time clock and all of that. But he, he finally brings it down in, in, in verse 26 after he, he talks about there will be signs in the heavens and, and uh, perplexities on earth. Matthew says there will be pestilence, pandemics. Luke says that, that there would be, you know, perplex, perplexities and the sea and waves roaring. And, you know, before the, the great tsunami in Sumatra, we didn't even know the word. I knew about tidal waves because of the earthquake in Alaska back in the early 60s, and we lived there. And, and so... I knew about tidal waves, but tsunami? That was an unknown word around the world. It was a Japanese word. And it became, it's now, I mean, in any country that's got coastal water, there's tsunami evacuation signs. Right in Chile. Yeah. And uh, you, you guys worry about the hurricane evacuation. But around the world, it's tsunami evacuation. 
just right in fulfillment. And then Jesus says this in verse 26. And this is what I, I feel like God wants to say to your heart. He says that men's hearts failing them for fear. For looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Folks, if you focus your attention looking... There's two ways to look in this passage. You can look after the things coming on the earth. And I'm going to tell you, you can get wrapped up and buried in the news and everything that's happening until fear grips your heart. But Jesus gave us an alternative. He said it's going to come on the earth like a snare. But then he says in verse 28, here's the alternative look. Verse 28, and when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Amen. If there was ever an admonishment that should be directed to you and I in this very hour in which we live, it's this admonishment. When you see these things begin to come to pass, not finish, not being done with, not at the end of it all. No, when they begin, then look up. Amen. And he says, lift up your heads. That's a Hebrew idiom. You find it in the Old Testament. How about Psalms 24? Lift up your heads, all your gates. Be ye lift up your everlasting doors. For the King of glory shall come in. Amen. And that phrase, lift up your heads as an admonishment, a biblical admonishment to be encouraged and to examine yourself. Be ready. Amen. Be ready for what? Your redemption draweth nigh. Oh, friend of mine, the scripture is so strong in this very thing. And Jesus goes on to admonishment with some admonishments to us that I think apply to us very, very deeply. And uh, when he talked about this, he goes on to say in verse 34 of Luke, he tells us that that we need to be careful not to be overtaken by drunkenness and surfeiting and even just the cares of this life. That that day overtake you unaware. God does not want you to be unaware. Of the hour, the day that we're living in. Amen. He wants us to be very keen to the time in which we're living. And to be attentive to what's going on. Amen. But most of all, looking up, expecting. And while some folks are looking for Antichrist, I want to look for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And then he says in the final verse of this discourse, verse 36, he says, Watch and pray ye therefore that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to do what? 
and to stand before the Son of Man. Where are we going to escape to? Stand before Him. The word escape, this is a very unique word in the Scripture. It's the only place in all four Gospels that you find this word. Just this one place. And, and it, Paul picked up on it and used it. Paul said, well, let me say this. I think this is Jesus' word, one of Jesus' words for the rapture. The word is a compound word, ek fugo. You that speak Spanish know what a fuga is. Well, that's what fugo is in Greek. And ek is the word that is translated almost almost 100% to the word from. It does not mean to be hid away in. It means to be taken away. Out of. And when you put ek fugo together, Thayer's lexicon says flee by flight. A a fuga in Spanish and a fugo in Greek means a, a leak. I mean a massive leak. If you have a prison break and all the prisoners are getting out, that's a fuga. You get a hole in your pipe and the water's just squirting everywhere.